why don't you know we all have picked them shall we do the bit <laughs> and my boom pole and my drip and these guns Excellent. good work team that was Great. a horrible lord of the rings stuff i want up. that fan art on my desk by monday Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am Blue, and I'm joined by Red. I'm oversteeping this black tea, because if I'm going to be making tea, I can at least be wrong about it. Oh, oh, God, no, how, <laughs> like, are, are we talking minutes or hours? Uh, however long we record for. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> what? It's good! At least I'm drinking it while it's still warm. This is a big step for me. That okay, you know what? Fair, fair, fair. I'll I'll, I'll give you that. I haven't forgotten this mug of tea on a bookshelf once yet. <laughs> once this yet year. today. <laughs> <laughs> this it's... is the tea that I forgot on the bookshelf yesterday. Oh, I see. Iced tea is fine. Hot tea is good. But the transitionary period nobody allows. Anyway. We're fine. Everything's chill. What were, we're uh, Red, what were you, what, uh, did last week, were you up to anything fun? Oh, was I up to anything fun last week? What a funny and organic uh, transition <laughs> conversation. Uh, yes, in fact, as mentioned on uh, the Astros Playroom stream that we uh, sort of just did out of nowhere. $10,000 uh, for earthquake relief. That was yeah, great. Thanks to I, Cyan for helping organize that one. And uh, really basically... Uh, bringing me up off of the floor where I was very tiredly sitting for most of that afternoon. Like, I can't do it. So yeah. I, she's like, okay, honey, we're going to get you some tea. Let's make a grilled cheese. I, I, I believe in you. And it ended up being great. Ah, the power of love. <laughs> Truly appropriate for the season. But uh, yeah. I guess this is going up after Valentine's Day. But, you know, you know. Um, but, yeah, uh, we, we're all jet lagged, uh, which I haven't experienced uh, possibly ever, certainly in a long time. Uh, and it's kind of a bitch, I got to say. I really <laughs> thought I'd be able to sleep my way through this in one day, but it keeps kicking my ass. Uh, but, yeah, we, we were six hours uh, ahead. Yeah. Yeah, six hours ahead. We were in Iceland for a week, and it was really fun. We had a uh, great time. We were in uh, Reykjavik for a day, and then we were out uh, in a small town about two hours east of there at a place called Midgard. Midgard uh, Base Camp. Yeah, Midgard yeah. Base Camp, which is like technically all of it's Midgard. Um, yeah, technically <laughs> all of speaking. this is Midgard. <laughs> yeah, um, but we were out um, doing some adventures uh, in local uh, national parks, um, driving around on jeeps and seeing black sand beaches and Not cool stuff jeeps. like that. Super jeeps. Super jeeps. A regular jeep cannot ford a river casually <laughs> four times for fun just to prove that it can do it. These a things regular are... jeep can't do donuts in the middle of the river after oh spending the first time crossing it, doing a lot of very cautious testing. That's my favorite part of the trip, That by was the way. my favorite part <laughs> of the trip, too. That was pretty funny. Everyone <laughs> clearly thought that like we were going to die because uh, <laughs> our driver was a very cavalier, extremely cool dude. Uh, and then like we'd been driving across little rivulets that had cut across because we, we were off the roads at this point. Point, but there were paths there were like trails that had clearly been marked out but the landscape of iceland changes at a shockingly fast rate from a like a geological perspective because it is basically an active volcano and earthquake zone which means every few years everything's in a different place you also get glacial melt so anything that's like a good place to put a road is going to be a floodplain sometime that year <laughs> so there were rivers cutting across this thing like every kilometer um, and we just drive down them and then up three feet of bank and we'd be fine. And then there was this river that was like 40 feet across and the water was churning and we were like, how, how deep is that? Is that going to be good? And our driver kind of went in 
and then backed out, and then drove up, and then went in. Started and backed like, like out. poking around, like seeing where we where like, the river was fordable. <laughs> we were like, "Is this bad? This might be bad." Uh, critically, none of us speak Icelandic, uh, and another tour bus, another super jeep, uh, showed up and was having a like a slightly intense conversation with our driver, and then that bus started poking in and out of the water. <laughs> we were like, "Are we gonna?" are we okay? Like, what's going to happen if this doesn't work out? Um, And uh, eventually, we just took the plunge, forwarded the river, and we were like, yes, okay, awesome. And then we drove along to this lovely little town named Vic. Uh, I believe that was where... Was that where we went? That was was the next day. This was... uh, We went to a place called Volcano Huts. Oh, Uh, yes, (laughs) the place with the much harder to pronounce Icelandic name that was renamed to Volcano Huts after the volcano went off and became a tourist attraction. Uh, And then when we came back, we were at the same patch of river, and we were like, oh, man, I I guess... uh, Hope the water hasn't gotten any deeper. And then we forded across, and then our driver was like, I gotta show these kids that there's nothing to be afraid of so we did donuts in the river for a couple so minutes he went backwards <laughs> and then back again he was like and we do said, this because we can yeah he said do you know why we do this and we're like why it's like because we can and we're like hey yeah. the great. energy on that man was immaculate also there was a dog uh they, there was they a, dog. a dog uh, the dog came with us on the hike the dog's name is hecla like the volcano i'm essentially treating like the volcano like her surname as that was how she was addressed to us at every point it was so fun um we got all the hiking in and there was waterfalls like everywhere and we saw the location of the all thing uh or at least the the theorized uh, one yeah and i gotta say having been in iceland in the winter I now understand why Grettir was like that. <laughs> I would probably also be intolerable and get myself exiled as quickly as possible. <laughs> no kill the first the person I come across. <laughs> <laughs> Someone steals your lunch bag, you kill them. <laughs> um, it's a beautiful place. And I love that the thing that spurred the tourism was that the island exploded a few years back and grounded all North American air travel. And people were like... And European. I, oh, yeah. Mostly no, European. Sorry. I meant all Northern Hemisphere air travel. Oh, yes, it uh, is. But yes, and... Uh, and everyone was like, well, I gotta get all up in that thing's business. <laughs> so, well, now I'm curious. <laughs> now I'm curious. Uh, and also, if you look at like, the tourism industry in Iceland is quite new, and you can yeah. kind of tell because of how many things are named like Volcano Resort, Volcano Hotel, Volcano Huts, because it's all like, what are these crackers here for? Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, we had a fantastic time, and we managed to see the auroras on the last we possible did. night that we could, basically. Yeah. Um, Red and I uh, camped out outside because it was, you know, like 30% chance of auroras, but it mm-hmm. was so windy and rainy and snowy the whole time we were there. There was of course, cloud they, cover. They say but, in Iceland, yeah. you know, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes, but of course that means you only have about five minutes of clear sky at a time. Yeah. Um, so we were out there at like 1 a.m., yeah. and we're just like chatting. Uh, we walked back outside after the snow stopped and, you know, we're talking about random stuff. And I look up and I'm like, hey, Red, is that, does that look kind of green to you? So we, like, take a picture, like, look at it. Yeah, I guess send it to the group chat. Yeah. And then people come, like, running out in their coats, like, two minutes later. Like, yeah. where is it? Where is it? Where, where is, is it? it? Where is it? Everyone yeah. who thought I had ran out in their coats. I <laughs> ran out in my hoodie. Yeah. Don't recommend. <laughs> we were definitely in that sort of situation where it's like, I was kind of expecting it to look like all the photographs, but of course all the photographs are the most spectacular that it ever gets when it's a full like corona. Um, and so instead what you actually see is like, oh, that looks like a cloud, but it's kind of at a funny angle to the other clouds and it's maybe a funny color. And there are nights where it gets that intense. But that first one, like it was it was only our phone's night sight that was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's green, baby. Well, 
first well, for all of us, Blue saw oh, it yes. on the plane ride over, and it was as apparently spectacular as it looks in all the photos. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I, yes. One of, was, our, <laughs> one of our crewmates did show me a picture, and I was like, that's what he got to see? That lucky fucker! <laughs> I was watching uh, She-Hulk on Cyan's iPad. I, I liked it. I liked She-Hulk a lot, actually. Oh, it's good, yeah. And I was like, in between episodes, I'd look, you know, look outside, see the stars and stuff, and I looked out, and I did a double take, like, what? And I was so shocked, I went into, like, a panic response where I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to wake everybody up because, like, they're sleeping. It's important. There's not a lot of nap time available on that flight. It's, it's a fairly quick flight. So, like, I, I ran over to Noir and I'm like, hey, come check this out. And by the time I got him to the window, it was like it had kind of passed and then the, everyone else was sort of shuffling awake, like, what the... Blue, what the fuck are you doing? Um, and then... They were like, oh, yo, and they saw, like, the tail end of it. But I, like, as I was looking out, I saw this spectacular vista, basically seeing the aurora at eye level, which is nuts. My Um, envy is immeasurable. My day is ruined. 30 seconds after I took the picture, it had completely changed. I'm like, oh, my God, these things move fast. My crops are withering. My skin (laughs) is not clear. All to say, Ah! we had a very good time. And we also still released two videos in the last two weeks. So I guess we should probably talk about those now. Oh, fuck, that's right, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, we had two uh, sort of uh, heart Valentine's-y themed stuff. We had a trope talk <laughs> on the heart uh, and then a history hijinks video on Henry VIII, which is <laughs> a video that I wasn't sure I wanted to do. And even after putting it out, I'm like, was that a good idea? <laughs> I don't know. Red, where do you want to start for this Well, episode? your video came out first. So. All right, let's yeah. let's do that. I yeah. uh I had wanted to kind of follow up on the, you know, the 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 saga of ill-fated uh, couples in history, uh, which I've done a couple times before. And this time I'm like, okay, Henry VIII, that's, he's his own video. So I kind of agreed, like, okay, I'm just going to go through, like, point by point. Let's let's break this open and see what's going on. And I I quickly got into the uh, the the space of you know Henry VIII scholarship and and looking at like what is the kind of pop history picture watched Six the Musical for research very much mm-hmm. enjoyed it um, and I kind of found myself thinking this topic is already a little bit done to death what am I contributing here <laughs> uh, and I I sort of was able to to justify an angle that I'm like okay no this this is an angle that hasn't really been taken before. I'm, I'm making some points that that I haven't really seen elsewhere. Um, but there, there's a lot of Henry VIII content out there. There's a lot of coverage. And it's usually the reason I don't do that stuff is because those, yeah. those wells have already been plumbed. But I was able to sort of like thread this, uh, this needle of how much am I dunking on him? How much am I, you know going into the actual sort of analysis of like like religion-wise what's happening with the Reformation, how much of the spotlight am I giving to him versus his wives? Mm-hmm. And I think the, the like Sixth the Musical kind of reframed the discussion a little bit. And I think an interesting way that we haven't really seen much in the other scholarship, it's a lot of like Henry did all of this to his wives. Yeah. Um, or like, haha, look at look at old look at old Hal six wives, um, and not going much further than that. But yeah. there's some some yeah, sorry, God. Well, I mean, uh, we had an interesting discussion about this early in the process when you were sort of explaining what was going to turn into the script to me, because, of course, my knowledge of Henry VIII was almost entirely from the memes and he's very memeable. But as you sort of like painted this picture of like, here's how he started out. Here was his initial motivation. Here's why he became so desperate to have a male heir at this point. Here's all the political machinations behind the scenes. I sort of ended up in this interesting position where I was like, oh, I've learned more about like the man behind the meme, you know, the actual human being that did these things. And that makes him 
more reprehensible because that, yeah because yeah. <laughs> because when he when he's a meme when he's a haha funny jokey joke who you know can't stop uh marrying women and then disposing of them and then lining up the next one is like oh what a terrible person and then like learning the motives behind it because he's not just thinking with his little henry you know he's got other <laughs> stuff going on he's he's awful for for layered reasons yeah. but they're all selfish and terrible that, and that makes him yeah, worse that's really the astounding thing is is i think the angle that i was able to justify as i was talking to you read like oh like that there, there's something to this that I don't think has really been articulated before of like, it's not just, oh, ha ha, you know, point and laugh. Mm-hmm. It's not, oh, no, you have to give him credit because he was under a lot of really interesting and complex political circumstances. Therefore, we can justify all the shit he did. He had a lot of complex political background and situations he needed to negotiate. And he still did all that dumb shit. Mm-hmm. And he still maintained a very malicious attitude about the disposability of the people who worked for him, including his wives, all throughout his career, where he had valid reasons to make hard choices. Like, the reason he did Protestantism was, like, the best way that I can be a good Catholic and respect, like, the institutions of our church is for me to become protestant like th- that's a fascinating like mm-hmm. moral quandary to be in um where like the pope was arguably a worse catholic than henry was depending on your <laughs> framing but Ooh. then he still does all this malicious stuff where he doesn't have to kill anne boleyn but he does anyway mm-hmm. yeah. where there's just there, there's there's so much there and a lot of people try to brush it off like oh you have to give him credit because he got that jousting injury that gave him like this brain damage that affected his behavior later in life the first thing he did when he became king was kill a bunch of his dad's advisors it's not like he suddenly got worse when he got that injury he was always that malicious he just kept it in check Mm -hmm. because he had political reasons why he had to kind of be on his behavior but as soon as he became the undisputed monarch of church and state he was just untethered and then let all of his horrible instincts run wild that he always had. It's not like we can blame it on the injury and it's not his fault. He was always that much of an asshole. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, it's it's really interesting to unpack that because, uh, you know, a lot of uh, the exploration of history is that these things get flattened and, and mm-hmm. simplified with time, uh, especially when it's like, this is a funny haha. you know, people get defined by like the one most memorable thing. Um, and then they just get flattened down into this extremely narrow caricature, which makes it easy to forget that that was a human being who lived a full life and had reasons for everything they did. And the fact that this person who, you know, like, it's kind of cool that with, with Henry VIII, like you start off and you're like, oh, he sounds like a, a selfish, horny asshole. And then you kind of dig deep and you're like, he is. But knowing the details makes him worse. It's yeah. like, like, haha, selfish, horny asshole. He may as well be a Looney Tunes character at that point. But like, then you unpack the actual person, you know, who, who grew up in this environment, gained this absolute power, did all these terrible things. And it's like, hmm. You know, this is this is a conversation that happens a lot of the time, actually, recognizing the humanity in somebody monstrous. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't mean that you have to sympathize with them or that you have to feel like, oh, I could have been that. Like, that's often how I think people interpret it, but that's not accurate. Recognizing the humanity of somebody monstrous makes them seem worse because... If somebody is just a monster, you know, if that's their true, if that's their nature, if there was never another option for them, then that, that essentially morally absolves them from any of the actions they took yeah. that that got them qualified as a monster. So if somebody is like, oh, they were born bad or like they've just always been like this, uh, they're, some people are just evil, you know, then it's like, 
Well, that, that sure is helpful for you. That really puts a wall between you and them, doesn't it? That means that there are good people and bad people, and there's a clean wall between them, and they never change sides. <clears throat> and then, you know, you look at something like this, and you're like, I recognize the humanity in this person. I understand why he made the decisions he did. I can sort of unpack how his mind worked. And that makes him feel so much ickier because he could have been better at so many points. And he yeah. just he just didn't. He wasn't because he was selfish and power hungry and, and hedonistic and just pursuing all these things for his own personal enjoyment and gain at the cost of his kingdom yeah. and a, his wives. A lot, of, a lot of the hard choices he made were foisted upon him and he made arguably the correct choice in a lot of those circumstances. And then he also chose to do a bunch of malicious, violent bullshit afterwards. Yeah. It's, so you I, can tell that he's thinking. You can <laughs> tell that he has a logic. Yeah. And you <laughs> can tell that... he's just so maliciously selfish. And it's interesting. You know, there's a lot of cases where you sort of... Sometimes you look at somebody who's done terrible things and you're like, I just... I can't really understand how anyone could do those things. And that that sort of helps build the wall. You know, that helps put the separation of like... That person did things that I find incomprehensible. They can't possibly be like, you know, like me or yeah. anything like that. And I think, you know, there's a value to unpack what actually goes into those decisions. What actually, you know, why people come to the conclusions they do, why they become, why they get driven to extremes or why they embrace extremes and uh, and end up embracing, in the case of Henry VIII and, of course, a lot of real-world terrible people who are currently active, uh, an ideology that essentially minimizes the humanity of other people, uh, yeah. which is, I think, the root of <laughs> the root of all evil, basically, treating other people like they aren't people. That's, um, a, a lot of icky history starts with, with that premise. It, it's, I, think a, <laughs> I think it's a vital prerequisite, because it's very hard to be terrible to somebody you see as a complete individual just like yourself. Yeah. Uh, but it's very easy if you, for instance, treat them as monsters or, or inhuman or, yeah. or cursed or sinful or whatever. I, I should say a lot of uh, a lot of commentary in the comments um, uh, and uh, some on the subreddit were like, you know, I feel like Blue kind of missed the mark on this one because, and it, to, to the credit of the commenters, I made a huge point to say, oh, we can't just point and laugh, and we, you know, have to recognize memes are simple, people are complicated. Yet, it seems as if I go back to dunking on him with the memes, such as the mommy joke, which I had to explain that joke to my father. He was oh, like, God. hey, Blue, I watched your video. I don't, I don't quite understand what the, what the joke about the mommy was. Oh. I'm like, oh, Dad, that's, uh, it's, it, it's an internet uh, joke. Uh, he's like, okay, whatever. I'm like, oh, bless you. You hear um, that, Reddit? He's suffered enough. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, like, I'll, I'll grant that it is really hard to thread that needle, to, to go between, you know, am I dunking? Am I being too generous to him? That's hard. And I feel like the fact that I did both was kind of my point, is that I do dunk on him with the memes, and I try to explain, like, there was more going on here. Um, so I, yeah. I can understand anyone's disappointment with uh, with the structure of this video. Um, I, I do think I, I've, I've once again learned the the allure and the danger of those kinds of, like, slightly confrontational videos. Because this was my <laughs> best performing history video since the Dark Ages were fine, actually. Which was a confrontational tone that I still look back and I'm like, mm, that was dodgy. Yeah. So I reasons I... I 
I looked at this video topic and I was like, I don't know. Then I published the video and I'm like, I don't know. I still like what I was able to do, yeah. but there's a reason I do this stuff infrequently. And if I was a worse historian, I would listen to the view counts and do this more often. So the fact that I don't is a courtesy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we keep rediscovering why people do clickbait and then being like, should we? No. I yeah. mean, it's it's cursed arcane power. It's, it's evil and corruptive. And, you yeah. know, it seduces you to the dark side, but those views. So, Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. So that's why we, we uh, that's why we don't do that. But Red, tell us that. about the newest trope. <laughs> yeah, the trope talk on the heart uh, of a video topic that I've gone on the record in previous podcasts saying I didn't think I could make a video about. Uh, character which, growth, you did it. <laughs> yeah, character development. And I'd forgotten about that, honestly, until people in the comments were like, oh, I'm so glad she changed her mind and made the video. I was like, I, yes, I did. From what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But no, I, I actually remember, it might have been on a, like an After Dark stream where I sort of accidentally convinced myself that there was something worth unpacking there because because I, I, I keep having to remind myself of this. When I'm scripting trope talks, I'll sometimes catch myself holding back from saying something because for some reason I feel like I shouldn't where it's like oh you know like uh, my thoughts on this are all about this one character but you know I shouldn't just go too deep on that one guy and then I'm like why the fuck not here's an entire page about hawk girl fuck you um, yeah. <laughs> uh, or like <clears throat> or I'll have a discussion of a trope where like in my head most of my analysis on it is like the meta of this trope in the space of other tropes rather than necessarily an exploration of the trope like by the numbers you know point by point here's a list of things that happen with it and then I'm like I can just be honest about my meta thoughts on this trope. I can just say that. So yeah. when I was discussing the heart in previous contexts, I was like, I don't know, you know, mostly they're just kind of there. They only recently developed a personality and I'd have to talk about the chick and that's a mess. And people on the internet might yell at me for being a woman with opinions about how women have historically been treated and characterized like that affects me for some fucking reason and I don't know if I want to deal with that and then it's like what hold on but actually this is good to that there's good stuff there that's actually well worth exploring that that this archetype started off almost as an accident uh you know you, you make everybody a tough macho badass and there's nothing holding the story together because they're all tough macho badasses that have a tendency to be loners and fire off into random directions yeah. it helps to have a character who's actually you know secure enough to be like i love you guys let's hang out here's communicators yeah. and my secret base and this yeah hell yeah um and when i was looking at it from that perspective you know uh <laughs> when the discussion of the term of the heart came up uh i i didn't invent the phrase the heart, obviously that has been around since at least Captain Planet, probably earlier. Uh, but when the five-man band trope was uh, initially codified on TV tropes, the fifth member was the chick. Um, and it, there was a little footnote that's like, chick isn't always a girl, but you know, yeah, <laughs> well, statistically. It's fucking fine, yeah. whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I just kind of was like, I don't want to put that in my five-man band trope talk. I don't want to be like, and this one's the woman. So I just said, and this is the heart. She, you know, usually is she, not always. And this is the role that they fill in the group. You know, sometimes, usually much less combat-oriented, frequently kidnapped, the subject of damseling plot lines, you know, all things that have traditionally been the purview of female characters for various reasons that we don't need to get into, all that jazz. Uh, and then I just sort of let it sit there, and then I was like, no, hold on, hold, hold on. <laughs> There's stuff to discuss. Yeah. And I had fun with that. Um, 
I, I always enjoy getting to highlight different examples that don't necessarily look how people expect the heart to. Um, yeah. It's kind of funny whenever I bring up leverage because it is a five-man band, but it's not the traditional five-man band because everyone is sort of splitting between at least two roles. Um, and one of them, who on paper would be easily the smart guy, because he's the hacker, he does all the tech stuff, he's the guy in the chair, uh, is the heart of the group. Art Alec Hardison is the first person who is like, yeah, I've got our secret base, I did all the money laundering we need to get everything in order, I've done all our back taxes for the last 30 years, so nobody's going to think we're suspicious, here's our headpieces, this is the person I'm in love with, and this is the other person I'd die for, and we all hang out, I have two hands, this is fantastic, and I'm like, yeah. Fuck yeah, Hardison. You're the heart of this group. This is incredible. Yeah. And true to form in uh, in season four, the crazy season where they start getting really experimental because they're like, well, we have had three seasons of formula. Let's start getting weird with it. Uh, there's an episode where he's put in grave danger and everyone freaks the fuck out and rescues him. And that's yeah. uh, that's the thing I used as the example. And uh, it's it's good. And it was really there were a lot of people who were like, hey, yeah, hey, that's yeah. And there's two other women in the team and neither of them are the heart of the group. Yeah. Like one of them is the emotionally intelligent one that does. But she's a grifter. She does manipulation. She's not like, oh, I openly love you guys. She's like, you fuckers don't even know my legal name and you never will. Uh, and then the other one is that's like, the, yeah, she's fantastic. Uh, and then the other one is like the master thief uh, who is very autistic and uh, kind of has this really, really nuanced handling character arc of uh, growing to be more comfortable around people and and socialize more openly without at any point becoming neurotypical <laughs> uh, or losing what makes her Parker. And she's great, uh, but she's not the heart of the group. She's uh, she, If anything, she's the one who runs off half-cocked the most and gets herself into trouble. So she's kind of the Lancer, but again, the way the story works, the characters don't fit into yeah. clean five-man band roles because very few stories do. Tropes are useful analytical tools. I've said over and over again, they're not good guides for you must yeah. write it this way and this way and this way. That's why I like unpacking yeah. how they work. It's a lens, not a template. Yeah, and if you treat it like a template, you're going to get stories that are very paint-by-the-numbers. Yeah. They're not always bad, but they're always very have been done before yeah so i think uh i do uh want to call out the uh the the setup and then reveal of like explaining what kinds of scenarios you would put a heart character in if they are not defined by their combat capability and then mm. when you say and thus we've established the heart to damsel pipeline and <laughs> i feel like i heard everyone in the audience their heads just went because <laughs> that was Probably one of the 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 best like setup and then reveal that uh, a trope talk has organically had, and I really like the way that you you organized that. When I read it in the script, I'm like, oh yes, yes, this is good. This is good. Ah, shucks. I mean, when I say that uh, my my history doing math proofs factors into the way I write, yeah, this is what I mean. It's literally logic. Okay, yeah, we established the heart as the character that everyone cares about. Oh, okay, follow, follow, follow. So if they get in trouble, everyone goes to help them. That makes perfect sense. Combine that with the fact that they're usually not a, not a heavy hitter because they fill a different role in the group. Yeah, okay, that makes perfect sense. Now I understand why these are the guys that are always getting kidnapped. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess in my head I didn't even think of that as a reveal, but I guess I could have put a little QED after it and it would have worked <laughs> just as well. So funny. Oh, um, boy. I do, as we're wrapping up and, and moving on to the next section, I do want to ask, I, I saw a lot of comments and stuff on the subreddit and such of people saying, is this the fourth video in the five-man band or the mm. fifth? Because some people have argued that you haven't done a video on the, on the leader. leader. Yeah, that's I, fair. I it's... think you could argue that you have. Well, I have. Because you touched on a lot of leader archetypes. 
but not specifically the, the leaders. Leader. So I yeah. feel I feel like this still counts as rounding out the five man band. <laughs> yeah. But like I I can acknowledge that some people are like. But wait, there is no video called Trope Talk the, the leader, leader, therefore. Yeah. yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I've, I've sort of wibbled it around a little bit. There's no Trope Talk on the big guy either, because I did powerhouses instead. And yeah. those aren't always the, the same thing. Yeah, um, sure. But uh, the, well, for instance, Earth Mightiest Heroes is the example I kept using. Thor is the power, oh, sorry, bumped my microphone. Thor is the powerhouse. Hulk is the big guy. They're different things. Mm. Uh, Hulk is not reliable enough to be the powerhouse because he constantly runs off half cocked and gets mad and, you know, sulks and vanishes for entire seasons. So anyway, uh, the thing with the leader that I, I have discussed in various five-man band contexts is that you can really have any character in the role of the leader. Oftentimes they double up. Uh, the, the fact that they are the person calling the shots tends to be the only thing that defines them as the leader of the group. They're not necessarily the person who assembled the group. They're not necessarily the person who's toughest or, or strongest in the group. So usually a five-man band orbits a protagonist, and protagonists can be almost anything. And thus the leader of the group doesn't really have a whole lot going on. Uh, in intrinsic to the role. Everyone else is defined by their relationship to the leader. So if anything... <laughs> This is kind of funny. The discussion of the leader is most strongly uh, evinced in the uh, video on the Lancer because That's the Lancer is the foil to, to the leader. Yeah, yeah, so there's a the lot Lancer. of leader content in the Lancer trope talk. Because the Lancer has to be defined so strongly by who the leader is. You know, the, yeah. Han Solo is the Lancer to Luke. Is well, Luke is a naive farm boy. Han is going to be an experienced kind of scoundrel type. Uh, but then, you know, if the leader is uh, experienced and, you know, wise to the world, the Lancer is going to be the naive one and, and all that jazz. They're really only defined by each other. How insulting to the Lancer that even in their <laughs> video, they have to share the screen with the leader for half the runtime. <laughs> I know. It's great. I love it. Yeah. Oh, boy. But, but uh, yeah, so I, if I can, again, I might convince myself otherwise, if I can think of enough to talk about with respect to what the point of the leader is, I might, but it would be like making a video about the protagonist. That's way too much and way too little at the same time. Yeah. So but, for now, that is the five-man band yeah. rounded. Rounded, um, yeah. But with that, a uh, couple very, very short announcements. We've got a uh, new merch design on the Crowdmade store. It's a little fireplace design mm -hmm. that uh, the Crowdmade team whipped up. It's very cute. Uh, yeah. It's on uh, stickers, mugs, uh, shirts, and hoodies. Uh, we've got a new pin design coming out it's next very week. very special. It's not like anything you've seen before. It is so quite I, different. I really fucking hope it works. I'm very happy about this one. <laughs> and if I have an excuse to do more, I will be extremely happy. But, you know, it's, uh, it's Yeah, funny. so um, we'll, uh, it'll be out by the next podcast, but it does not come out this week. It comes out next week for Red's next video. So mm -hmm. keep an eye out for that. We will be plastering on everything thing that we have to plaster it on as usual mm. uh, <laughs> to you know make sure that people see it um other than that not a ton else going on we're we're uh, attempting to take it light we just got back from iceland well it'll be a, a little bit yeah. before we got a bunch of big stuff to show off <laughs> i went to bed at like 10 p.m yesterday it was wild <laughs> and and strange uh I stayed up very late to finish God of War Ragnarok, and I'm like, I should have gone to bed instead. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on to the Q&A portion of the podcast. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. This first question comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel, consider becoming a patron for a chance to have your question read first in a future episode. This first question comes from Meraki. To all, what is your favorite couple in mythology and or history? Mm. For Valentine's mm. Day. It's happening. 
Oh yeah, yeah, very thematic. I've I've got to rep Justinian and Theodora because they're just such a power couple. <laughs> I you know in terms of just funness, Cleopatra and Mark Antony are oh, like the most entertaining mess. kind of mess. But like in terms of seeing a couple where their relationship is well documented. I mean, there are a lot of people who are presumably like this in history. We just don't have as much on them. Um, but like seeing like a, a king and queen pair, emperor and empress, where they were stronger as a team than either of them ever were on their own. Um, it is remarkable. And there are a lot of reasons to be like Justinian did a lot of bad stuff, actually. <laughs> like, strictly speaking, he was de-acclaimed by the populace in Constantinople at the Nika riots, and he murdered his way through keeping power. So he really like shouldn't still be emperor. <laughs> but... Um, I, it is impressive everything he was able to achieve, even if he was maybe a little, a little, a little overreaching in his in his aims. Um, the relationship they have is is very interesting and very sweet in many ways, um, and it's uh, very like compellingly sad to look at Justinian's life after Theodora died and oh. how he was trying to do the same things, but he just couldn't couldn't make it work in quite the same way because he didn't have her there um That's they sad. were they were each other's rock uh and it's it, it's very cool so I, I i like them a bunch go back to the the video on that that i did a couple years back I mean, it's got to be Achilles and Patroclus, right? That's great. Like, That's good. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Like, uh, this may surprise the viewers, but I don't tend to pay all that much attention to couples in history and mythology. <laughs> <laughs> and most of them are messes, especially in the mythology side of things, where it's yeah. like, if you're lucky, maybe this character has a consistent consort. If you're not... Who the fuck knows? <laughs> so, uh, and if you're really lucky, that consistent consort was consensually there. Half <laughs> <Hop>, Persephone. <laughs> ha, yeah, see, that's the thing where it's like, I, gone on the record, I'm a big fan of the ones, the stories that make this cool and adorable and an odd couple, pastel goth to true goth, you know, dynamic. I, I think it's it's very sweet. I have no complaints against it. I think the purpose of a retelling is to change the story, and this is a change I don't mind. I did try to be upfront in the Hades and Persephone video that, like, it's kind of neither of the extremes that people like retelling it as. Like, Hades is not some cackling, snidely whiplash monster mm -hmm. abducting this underage goddess immortal entity from before time. Uh, to to spirit her away to his his sex dungeon, and also this isn't an adorable Romeo and Juliet. We're gonna run away together, and it's gonna be consensual and amazing story. But you know, yeah. it's it, that's one where I'm like, the original story is not fantastic for a number of reasons. It is not as awful as some interpretations say. I'm just trying to tell the text of the story as accurately as I can. <laughs> yeah, the the happily ever after Persephone and Hades is a valid interpretation from the sources. Yeah. It is not the only interpretation from it's, the sources. Yeah. That is are... the key <laughs> distinction I think a lot of people miss in that. <laughs> when they are portrayed as an established couple, when the myth is not talking about the abduction of Persephone, when they are in their roles as king and queen of the underworld, they seem very functional. That said, that doesn't mean the other stuff isn't also an important part of the story. Yeah. So, Achilles and Patroclus. I like it because they are a mess, but it only becomes a mess because of Agamemnon. It's all Agamemnon's fault. <laughs> if they uh, had just been... <laughs> if they just been off, it would have been fine. <laughs> similarly to It's All Agamemnon's Fault, uh, my 
favorite couple is probably going to go to Odysseus and Penelope because I love yes. a girl boss yeah. and uh, I love a girl boss and her man. So functional. You know? Oh, wait, hold on. Uh, Atalanta and that dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever the fuck his name was. And the boy. <laughs> and yeah. the guy. And the, 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 the fella. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a cute one. That mm-hmm. one's cute, and uh, surprise. It's it's one of those things where again, like, depends on the telling. Some of them are like, and then she was so dumb that she ran off after the apple, and he won the race. And then some of them is like, well, I mean, it'd be pretty weird for her to do that accidentally. Maybe this is just her way of picking her <laughs> husband, which is cute. Uh, and then in some versions, it's like they can't be happy. We turn them both into lions because we have a, an ill-conceived notion that lions don't have sex with other lions. <laughs> I, uh, the first college lecture I ever heard was in an open house before I actually came to my university, and it was about Penelope in the Odyssey and why she is the best character in the Odyssey. Oh, yeah. She's fantastic. Oh, she's mm-hmm. great. She's the best. Yeah. I like that she's not very passive. Like, she is doing no. the most. Yeah. Um, she plays those dumb suitors like a fiddle for ten years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see it. I'm just so slow with this weaving process. If only some of you big, strong men could fight each other As a little bit in front yard. As someone who has done yard. some fiber crafts in my life, people have no idea how long that shit takes. So absolutely, mm. girl, Penelope, use that to your advantage. We love to but see also it. that she was able to play these idiot boys so well that none of them over the course of 10 years realized like or took the opportunity to learn how weaving works to realize what she was doing to them. Uh, I just love the idea of one of them being like, that doesn't sound right, but I don't know enough about women's work to dispute it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Oh, and uh Typhon and uh Echidna, I believe. They had a cute little monster thing going. Like I think that was right. One of the snake ladies. There's so many snake ladies in Greek mythology. Uh, It's the one where I drew it where he's really big and he's like holding a flower in his little claws and she's like a kind of normal sized snake lady going like, oh, shucks. Oh, what are the two, the um, once a year they get to meet up in the sky? Oh, fuck. Uh, The the cow herd and the weaver girl. Yes. What are their names? Oh, what are I their names? In the I one I found, he was just called cow herd and she was this just was called HSK weaver girl. prompt like four years ago. <laughs> I think a cow herd and uh, the thing is, I think their names literally just mean cow herd and weaver girl, yeah. but in Chinese, uh, yeah, yeah, appearing eponymously in the Chinese folktale. Yeah. It's not eponymous if it's their titles. That's another <laughs> cute couple from mythology. That's a good one. They're good adorable. One. Ah, yes, I now know their names, but I cannot pronounce them. But they literally just mean weaver girl and cow herd guy. But anyway, Incredible. yes, they're cute, and I I like them. Um, yeah, a lot of good classic. couples in history and mythology a lot of you know messy ones and that's kind of the Mm -hmm. beauty of it i think um but we got more questions to get to this one comes from questifer robin to all how have you managed to stay in such great contact with each other and other friends even though you live in completely different cities i am a university student away from my hometown and i'm finding it semi-difficult to stay in contact with my friends back home so how do you keep in touch with friends who might not live in the same place as you internet Internet. I mean, because the, the thing, one thing that I, I realized um, partway through college is that there is a tremendous difference between physical distance and, oh God, what was the word? Um, there, there was a, a certain, as like, like actual distance or like um, practical distance because mm-hmm. like I could live next door to someone. Mm-hmm. And if I never make the effort to go and knock on their door, they may as well live in Antarctica. but someone can live on the other side of town or cities away and I will see them more often than someone who lives in the same town as me if I am making a more active effort to go see them so distance is 
tricky to overcome because it lessens the amount of time that you will just organically bump into them. But if you put in the 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 vulnerability of reaching yeah. out and saying hi, which is a scary thing mm-hmm. to do, and being the one who like like you know starts up a group chat, that that's a hard thing. That's a hard socially difficult thing to do. But once you do those things and you kind of break that barrier of like, oh, this is a person with whom I can just like share something that happened in my day or send a meme or mm-hmm. those fun little things. The 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 actual like practical distance, so mm-hmm. to speak, is significantly lessened. So like Red and I, we would just chat on Facebook Messenger pretty much every day yeah. in in college, even before I, I started doing any of the channel stuff, just because it was like what were we up to? Yeah. Here's the stuff. show I'm watching. We're all adjusting to college. It's weird. Yeah. So we started mostly just the two of us chatting, and then we looped in some of our other friends for, like, you know, Google Hangout calls and stuff yep. like that. And eventually we, we developed more of a formula for it. Um, in COVID, uh, we started playing Games on Tabletop Simulator because yeah. we're like, let's carve out a time once a week to just chat. Doesn't mean we're always going to have the most riveting conversations, but because we try and we kind of, like, build that in that it's like understood, oh, like we don't all live in the same place, but we can still talk to each other and, and kind of build those bridges digitally. Yeah. I don't know, that, that that's what yeah. I got at least. No, no that's yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, Blue, we were in a, a similar friend group in college for a while and, and, and still kind of overlapped. And we were doing a very similar thing because when the pandemic happened and that was kind of the big moment where a lot of us got spread out, um, we just moved our weekly D&D game to be remote. And that was just a time every week where even if we spent an hour shooting the shit before we actually rolled any dice, everyone was on the call and hanging out. Um, I find that like it can be really valuable with some friendships to talk every single day. And there are other friends I have who maybe will FaceTime once a year, but I feel that those friendships are equally as enriching as people I talk to every day. Uh, I think it just kind of depends on what kind of relationship you have with that person um, and what works best for you guys. So like, don't feel like you have to speak with someone every single day to still have a meaningful connection with them. Uh, Maybe you could talk more than once a year. I don't know, but (laughs) you know, you really have to decide like, what works best for you and for the person who you are maintaining this relationship with and kind of feel that out just by interacting with each other. And the internet is a very valuable tool for doing this, whether it's because you have a specific game night planned or you can just message them at any time. Well, that that touches on a thing I wanted to bring up, which is that ultimately every relationship is a two-way street and that goes very strongly for Mm -hmm. friendships, uh, which basically means like, especially because this person said that they had just moved move schools or graduated or something like that um yes uh so basically when that happens you will probably find that some of the people who you hung out with and talked with every day when you were in the same place you hung out with and talked with every day because you were in the same place and that connection just doesn't exist when it needs to be actively maintained But with a lot of people, that's not true. There are people who I speak to intermittently and every time we hang out, it's like they never left or I never left. And Mm -hmm. we've just we're picking up the conversation where we left off the last time we hung out a year and a half ago. But that's because not only was I willing to reach out to them and talk, they were also willing to do that. And people have different um, needs and timings for that. Uh, So I'm one of those people that basically responds to messages immediately, unless I'm like incapacitated or have no internet or like dead. Uh, But there are plenty of people I know who don't know that. There's a conversations I've had with like some of my best friends where I send them like, 
over the course of like three weeks, like, <laughs> here's a fun picture. Oh, this is a thing I cooked. And then they're like, hey, I'm so sorry. I haven't been responding. This is great. Let's talk. And then we just chat or like do a phone yeah. call or something. Yeah. And like, I think this is something that's very easy to overthink. It took me a little while to sort of reach the point of like, you know, being left on red doesn't actually mean anything. And yeah. if you are having a dynamic with a person where being left on red does mean something, that might not be the healthiest thing to maintain. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a yeah. separate issue. That is not yeah. necessarily a question of fault. That's right, just yeah. like like friendship styles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Things are, you know, everyone's different and every relationship is different. And uh, so, uh, Blue, when you brought up like the, taking that plunge and initially starting the message, like, I don't want to overstep, but uh, it would be great to sort of reach out. Like... I think when you do that, the little anxiety voice is like, what if I annoy them and they never talk to me again? It's like, well, if you don't reach out, you're probably never going to talk again anyway. Mm -hmm. So the worst case scenario is literally doing nothing. It yeah. can't hurt to reach out because if this is the kind of person who is going to be like, how dare you speak to me, peasant? Like, you shouldn't be friends with that person anyway. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Why would you do that? Uh, so, you know, it, it, it can't hurt to be like, hey, you know, I was thinking of you. How you doing? What's mm -hmm. up? And like, worst comes to worst, they just don't respond. And you know, whatever you tried, uh, you you put out your half of the bridge. They didn't connect it. The bridge yeah. doesn't get built. Yeah. That's fine. You still it, tried. It's um, also there's kind of a spectrum of of what friendship will manifest as. You know, mm -hmm. you have your people who like you know, uh, us three here could fire up a group chat and talk about anything for hours because mm -hmm. we all know each other very well, and it's just you know part of the structure of our time that we talk a lot. So those kinds of conversations happen often. That's great. We talk to each other on the podcast once every other week. Yeah. There are people whom you may still be very close friends with, but your friendship might manifest as just like shooting some memes back and forth. Mm -hmm. That's not intrinsically lesser. It just presents differently online. Whereas if you were to see them in person, you'd probably be able to have those kinds of, you know, conversations that you were used to having from before, you know, only being able to contact them over the internet. But just because a, a conversation indigo, to your point, happens less frequently or is not like a, you know, a one hour long heart to heart, it's like, it's still, still totally, you know, a cool thing to be able to send, you know, a meme or a joke and just like kind of mutually acknowledge each other. Like, hey, I know you got a lot of stuff going on. I got a lo lot of stuff going on, but I was thinking about you and I hope you're doing okay. Like yeah. I had a conversation with a friend from college who like we were best buds. We, we suffered economics classes together <laughs> and we were like, hey, I'd love to chat with you. I don't really have the time right now, but I just want you to know that I was like thinking about you and hope you're doing well. And he said the exact same thing. And we're like, great, awesome. Yeah. And then that was like, we're good. That was we, it. In our like high school group chat, there's a couple people who are hilariously hard to track down. Uh, every time I check in with one of these friends, he's on a different continent. And yeah. the one time he was in my city, we were in Iceland. <laughs> um, and it's great, but like, sometimes I'll just be like, hey man, I was thinking about you. You know, if you're in the area, I'd love to hang out. And he'll be like, I was thinking about you too. Here's a show recommendation or like a, a YouTube video, some interesting engineering thing. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think, I think it's easy to sort of get stuck in your head with this sort of thing. Again, mm -hmm. in the zone of like, I don't want to annoy them. I don't want to overstep. You know, I don't want to seem like clingy or something or whatever. Uh, but in general, most of the time when you reach out to them, it's like, oh, yeah. how lovely. They were thinking of me. I'd love to respond. Um, and also, Blue, I want to kind of expand on what you said about like your friendship might manifest differently. Um, I maintain online correspondence with a friend of mine from third grade. Uh, this is a person I grew up alongside and then we went to different high schools and we went to different colleges and we've both been very different people through the course of our over a decade 
two decades of hanging out and knowing each other. Um, and uh, it's, you know, it's changed a lot. We started off and we were emailing and then it was like, hey, let's text. And then we were texting and, you know, I, I occasionally get to hang out with him in person and it's always very fun. Uh, but like, that's the kind of thing that's just, that's basically a, a long-term friendship that's just been maintained almost entirely online. And it, it can happen. And mm -hmm. it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, the relationship is any less real than it was when you were hanging out in person. I, uh, I recently attested that he was good to be a lawyer for an official lawyery <laughs> thing that needs nice. attestations of, of personal. Yeah, he's a stand up fella. Here's some anecdotes from middle school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it, it's it's truly astounding to me the kind of re relationships that you can maintain mm -hmm. with people, even if you don't physically see them for years at a time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, every relationship is different. Every person is different. There's no expectations, really, that you can level on them. But, uh, yeah, it's as simple as reaching out and uh, seeing if they want to reach back. Yeah. It's not one size fits all. It's a fluid and flexible thing. You got to feel it out. It's different for every person, but it's always worth the shot. Mm hmm. And also, like we're saying the shot here, but if it is like someone who you are actively friends with, they probably also are going to be very happy that you are just talking to them via instant yeah. messenger or discord or whatever it is. So like, try not to overthink it too much. Yeah. Reach Definitely, out to a yeah. buddy. They're usually going to be willing to reach back. And that for the most part, I think has worked for all of us in varying forms and yeah. varying degrees. Yeah. It hasn't had a hundred percent success, right? But you know, no. <laughs> It Can't works. expect it to. Yeah. 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 Even friendships you have in person are going to change over time. And it's yeah. just the same thing happening online. Uh, mm -hmm. We've got more questions to get to. This one comes from Arrow Alex Ace. Uh, to all, if you were in Middle Earth, what item would you offer during the my sword, my bow, and my axe scene? So what's <laughs> your and my? Uh, <laughs> and these guns. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm done. Oh, <laughs> what about sure. you guys? Yeah. Oh, God. Uh... <laughs> Uh, good question. <laughs> there was a poll on Tumblr recently that was like, if you were in Middle Earth, what would you want to be? And Hobbit was by far the front runner. Oh, I was shocked yeah. that not more people had voted for Wizard, the objectively correct choice. Well, could you be a Hobbit wizard? Mm, I think if you're a wizard, you can choose to look like a Hobbit because they're basically angels, right? Like, it's not mm, like Gandalf right. is actually an old guy. Here's a question. Is wizard an ethnicity in Lord of the Rings? I'm no, unclear whoa, on whoa, this. Whoa, whoa, no. This is... No, I don't understand the Tolkien lore. servants of the secret lore. fire, wielder of the flame of honor. I also don't understand the Tolkien lore. You're married to the person who willingly reads the Silmarillion. <laughs> Why did you ask her? Because <laughs> I've never had the question until right now. <laughs> but no, wizards are like like the, the mortal shape that angels basically take. You know, servants of the, like, the creator deities, basically. Um... My question is no closer to being answered. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Um, Blue, Gandalf what are you, is what not are you a, offering? He, he does, I am... Whatever. <laughs> we got to get off of the Cimmerillion related Wizards lore. Wizards are the right choice. <laughs> uh, I would I would offer my, my sick-ass coats so that you can travel in style and comfort. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> and my drip. <laughs> uh, I feel like the easy answer for me is a microphone, but that doesn't mm. feel... I guess boom pole? Like if you're, that actually I'm into. Uh, so am I boom? And I'll keep the audio quality nice and good, folks. Yeah, standing in the pose, arms up. You've all seen it yep. in a TV show where they have a TV set suspiciously in it as well. Um, uh, it's so got to be do, Christmas whenever they do. You know, an we all set on have picked show. them. Shall we do the bit? <laughs> and my boom pole. And my drip. And these guns. 
Excellent. Good work, team. That's Great. a horrible Lord of the Rings stuff. I want up. that fan art on my desk by Monday. Uh, this next <laughs> question comes from that one girl. Two blue. What was your approach to planning your wedding? I've recently gotten engaged and I have no idea where to start. Oh, congratulations. Congratulations. Um, congratulations, of course. Uh, always very exciting. Um, step one is uh, understand the constraints you're working in in terms of time. Cyan and I had a good year and a half. We ended up needing that year and a half. Um, but uh, the work expands to fit the time is a thing that I've heard a lot of people say, and I don't always agree with it, but with weddings, it does. So, like, if you have, like, a three-month turnaround to plan a wedding, first, yikes. Um, <laughs> but, like, you're going to get the essentials down and not really going to focus so much on, like, the nitty details. That's... Like, look, for three months, that, fine. That's fine. Did this you get your vendor, you get your months? food. I wasn't what? paying attention. Did they say three months or? No, no, no. no. Uh, okay. I'm just, I'm just like giving an <laughs> extreme like, short case. How dire is this? <laughs> yeah, like that, like you're going to have, you know, basically the, the most bare bones plan. That's fine. That's fine. Like you get, have, have fun. If you have a year and a half, you get to think a lot more about it and plan things out and do like, oh, like you can micromanage the details of the decoration and like, oh, like, do you want to have like a custom wax seal on your envelopes like Cyan and I did? Like, that's the kind of shit you can get to when you have a longer engagement. So the strategy really is determine at the start how granular you want to get with it. And if you don't, that's fine. You're going to have a lot easier of a time. If you're happy to delegate stuff, that's totally okay. Mm -hmm. um, if there are like family members who live where you live, that's a huge help because you can delegate. If you don't, you're going to have a lot of stuff on your own. The benefit is that you get to make all the decisions for yourself. The downside is you have to make all the decisions yourself. So mm -hmm. it'll give and take. Um, it helps to schedule things out. There are a million and one like wedding planning apps or binders or like notebooks you can get and whether or not it works for you is up to your preference and your style of organizing information and planning. But essentially, um, take your time. It is uh, ultimately a social event uh, and people will not worry tremendously whether or not it was choreographed perfectly. Uh, people who are the kinds of people to complain about things will find something to complain about anyway. And the people who are nice and forgiving uh, and patient will be thrilled that they were invited because it is a free party where you're feeding them. Yeah, if you um, give people booze so. and feed them, they'll pretty much overlook anything else you could possibly do at any given yeah. event. <laughs> yeah, set your priorities, figure out how granular you want to get with the details, um, and then take your time, work through it, um, try to figure out how you want to plan things out, you know, what matters to one person, what matters to the other person, uh, balance things, go from there. If, if you know, one person really cares about the, the color coordination of the decorations, like, that's something to focus on. But if neither of you give a shit about some other thing, then you don't need to worry about it. So, yeah. So basically, clearly communicate with your partner. Yes. Um, <laughs> decide how much you want to get in the weeds with it. Yeah. Uh, because if it's like, hey, let's get a wedding planner and then do whatever they say, then you're done. Uh, you're done. But you're if done. it's like, <laughs> I, I want this location, I want a destination, I want this color scheme, I want these fonts, then make those decisions. Oh my God, fonts. Whole, I didn't even think about fonts. Did wow. You guys, I thought you guys had the font conversation. Or... I mean, we we did, but I I, I forgot. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot a... we had the font conversation. Well, I feel, you know, it's one of those adrenaline things. Like, once you're done, the whole thing just shuffles out of your brain. Yeah. Yeah. Your brain's like, Jesus Christ, I've been, I've been holding on to this for months. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Just focus on having a, a good day. You know, yeah. you are yeah. going to get married. This is exciting. This is fun. Have a nice time with it at the end, yeah. right? <laughs> 
<laughs> the most That's important rule at a wedding is to just woman. relax and be Have yourself. fun with it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, very important to keep a shit list for the people who wrong you in the process of planning your <laughs> yes. wedding. This will be useful for later. <laughs> Dish. We love the shit list. Yes. <laughs> Not on a podcast, Red. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. No. I bet we'll, later. No, yeah, I know. <laughs> we'll move on to another question before we get too into the tea. Oh, all right. uh, but yeah, congratulations again on uh, your yeah. engagement. This have question. Fun. Enjoy it. This question comes from Sorcerer Pizza Supreme. To all, did you ever have a fictional or celebrity crush? Who was it on? Mm. Well, these are two count? different no. questions these yeah. are two very different questions <laughs> does it count if you're in sixth grade and everyone's getting real horny and the girls in your class tell you you have to have a crush on somebody everyone does and you're like i guess legolas he seems pretty and non-threatening and then they're sure. like yeah okay <laughs> sure because if that counts as a crush sure i've had one <laughs> I had to realize semi-recently that when people have crushes on characters, that doesn't mean they want to start dressing more like them, which made me reevaluate a lot of my fictional character quote-unquote crushes. Uh, not necessarily. Out, <laughs> yeah, it turns out that's not really what that was. I mean, I have a crush on noted mass murderer Nathan Drake, and I dress like him. So well, yeah. I was going to say, like, my most notable fictional crush is every single iteration of Casey Jones from the Ninja Turtles, and 100% I tried to dress like him in middle school. So. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. I mean, who could resist those dulcet tones? That I sweet mean, mullet. I mean, when he shows up in the first 90s TMNT movie, I watched all three of these movies three days ago. When he shows up in the denim vest, <laughs> in, nothing's better. Isn't he played by Steve Arnell in some movie? Uh, show? Not in the 90s ones, wait. Where, well, no. Uh, but, like, he's just he's just Green Arrow from Arrow, but now he's Casey Jones. <laughs> that was in something. Oh, that might have been the... That, that might have been the... the um, is that the animated one from 2012? No, this one was live action, and it might have been the fucking what's oh the, the Bay. Mel Bay one. Yeah, yeah it might have been the Bay the Bay MNT, uh, which is probably why I only vaguely know that. Universe. Anyway, yeah. short answer, not really, because it turns <laughs> out the definition is not what I thought it was. <laughs> hey, that's valid. Yeah. yeah. The the first celebrity crush I ever had was like like second grade. Um, the first time I like recognized that like a like like a person was really pretty mm. um, was uh, Anne Hathaway. Oh, of course. <laughs> Not you Katie basic Perry. bitch. <laughs> yeah, what? Blue, the amount of times I have heard the story of you having a crush on Katy Perry for you to not have That came later. That came later. That was middle school and high school. Oh my gosh. I mean, Red, you can confirm. I was, I like, I didn't even listen to all that much of her music. I just thought Katy Perry was really pretty. Yeah. Fuck. She is. All these dark-haired, blue-eyed ladies. No, I get it. I am a basic bitch with exactly one type. Yeah, I think there's all there's that old joke of like, do I have a crush on this person or do I want to be this person? As oh, being and you kind know of like what? Old... Fictional media, Elizabeth from Bioshock. Damn it! <laughs> Gosh, another uh, brunette with blue eyes. What, uh... what are the odds, you brunette with blue eyes, bitch? <laughs> Does this and... just dip into narcissism? <laughs> okay, uh, but like semi-real answer. Well, no, I mean, it still doesn't count. 
But like obviously I've watched the mummy movies and I have eyes. Well, yeah. So oh, like all of yeah. everyone yeah. in the mummy movies. Does it count as having a crush if I just want them to kiss each other? Like I feel like that's you know like it's a very hands off approach. It's just everyone in that movie is hot. What am I supposed to except for the brother? But everyone else in that I, movie is hot. This is Jonathan <laughs> Erasure. Yeah. He's valid. I'm He's sorry, he hangs hot. out with RF Bay too much for me to pay attention oh, to him. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> He's just a also, different you know, kind of hot. <laughs> I realize this is a generational thing because my dad has a huge celebrity crush on Emily Blunt. So this goes up the chain. <laughs> this goes back. <laughs> Incredible. Well, let's. God. We've got oh, a. And, uh, now we Pyre, put ourselves Pyre on. Queen Elizabeth Swan. Oh, well, uh, yes, of course. I mean, oh, obviously. Yeah, a yeah, given. Yeah. yeah. Um, but now that we put ourselves on blast adequately, I feel like let's get one last question in here before Midna we. from Twilight Princess. Sorry, wrap up the I'm podcast. Done. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the version of Casey Jones where he's voiced by Chris Evans. Anyway. Well, um, yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> the superior Chris Evans performance. Pichu is rad asks, to all, what meal in Breath of the Wild looks tastiest? My mutt pick Ooh. is honey glazed meat. So of the Breath of the Wild's foods, which one do you most want to eat? Mm. Hmm. Everyone has to watch the Brian David Gilbert making all the Breath of the Wild yes, foods yeah, haven't already. before coming to a quiet. conclusion. Yeah. Um, um, it's got to be the pies, right? Like, you can just make an apple pie, and it can even give you superpowers. I feel like, right? I, maybe it's just because I'm a noted soup bitch, but the creamy heart <laughs> soup does look particularly tasty to me. It's I feel like nice. I want to know what it tastes like so bad. Mm. It's a mystery, and I want to solve it. I The salmon manure is such a pain in the ass to make. I want to actually Ooh. be able to taste it in real life for how annoying that side quest is. <laughs> oh, is that the fish with those dumbass birds. <laughs> Every time I see her being like, if only someone would make me salmon manure, I'm like, all right, that's neat. I'm going to go fucking save your village. Bye. And I never ask any follow-up questions. Yeah. Um, also, this is not related to the question, but if you're doing the master trials and you're absolutely stumped, you can cook wood for a meal that restores one quarter of a heart. And that's that's how you get through it. That's how you survive. You have to do it one meal at a time for like 60 meals for it to mean anything. That is the one mechanic it work I think is it. missing from Breath of the Wild is being able to bulk cook food. Especially yeah. if you're making a bunch of the same thing. I'm like, just let me make like six of these. I did experiment with it. If you use multiple bundles of wood in the same recipe, it still only restores a quarter of a heart. Mm. So just oh. not worth it. But yeah, Waste. yeah, it's terrible. And then you have Incredible. to eat like 50 of them for it to matter. And poor Link's <laughs> just like crunch, crunch, crunch. Link is just like... shuffling wood chips into his face. <laughs> <laughs> but it works. It's a quarter of a heart. It's not dubious food, baby. Zelda's <laughs> like, Link, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, they're cooked. <laughs> Get off my ass. Oh, I'm in a survival <laughs> situation. <laughs> Anyone remember that meme? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm ashamed to admit how often that came up in my head in Iceland. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. yeah. If anyone's so got the recipe soup. for creamy heart soup, feel free to DM me with that. Tweet at me or something. I do want to make it is the thing. Mm. I just haven't found the reliable source yet. The fillets do look really good. They're not a complex mm. meal, but it's, it just looks like a good steak. Oh, yeah. All it's the, got the rice grill marks on it and everything. Where it's just like yeah. meat and rice. I'm like, yeah, that looks delicious. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like that yeah, would be really tasty. And I could make it right now. Yeah. Oh man, oh. I like the uh, the omelets. The Ooh. omelets are nice. Nice. It's always nice. Also, you can uh, you can cook a hard boiled egg by taking a bird egg and putting it in a hot spring. Uh, yes. There's a little mini uh, like environmental egg. storytelling tutorial for that under Hyrule Castle. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hot spring boiled eggs. Hot spring boiled eggs. That's a thing in a lot of them. Like Japanese yeah. cooking, I think. Mm. I think any hot spring hot enough to boil an egg is not something I'd want to be near, but 
I would. Put me in the hot water. Let me get my aching joints. Boil. This is why I'm a noted soup bitch. (laughs) Uh, Yes, the Blue Lagoon where I out loud told Thor to smite us and then it started hailing. That was one of the funniest things that's ever happened to us, though, to be fair. I'm so proud of myself. If I knew I had that kind of power, I'd I'd do that more often. It turned me into Jimmy Buffett in the Jurassic World movie where he's trying to protect his drink, like trying to keep the hail from getting into my cider. Yeah, with the the two mimosas (laughs) escaping the pterodactyls. Yeah, but uh, needless to say, the food in the Breath of the Wild generally looks pretty good, so I'm looking forward to seeing what culinary delights Tears of the Kingdom brings us, but that's a question mm. for another time, because we have to wrap up this podcast. So, Red, are you ready to take us out? There's been an energy in the room today. We're I'm not all sure jet lagged. That's, that's the energy. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. As always, we'll be back in two weeks with another exciting episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. Uh, until then, there will also be, of course, our regular Two new videos coming out on Friday. Uh, This goes out on Wednesday, so you will have missed my Breath of the Wild stream on Tuesday, uh, Valentine's Day, uh, spending it with my other true love as Twilight Princess is not on the Switch. Uh, But even if you did miss that, the VOD is up. If you want to check that out and donate to uh, the fundraiser we have attached, it's all going to a worthy cause, and it'll probably advance whatever hellish goal I set myself at the end of that for the next financial milestone. Uh, Probably something stupid. Haven't decided what it is yet. Uh, Emergent gameplay is fun like that. Uh, I think that about covers our bases. Oh yeah, Rolling with Difficulty comes back, so uh, you should catch up on the... Yeah, it's it's back, so you should catch up on the previous season. If you haven't already, it's on YouTube, uh, if you want to leave comment sections. Um, And it has a Discord and a Patreon and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, I think that's basically it for what we've got right now. So until next time, I've been Red. I've been a basic bitch with exactly one type. (laughs) Blue eyes, baby, and this has been an overly sarcastic podcast. Seto Kaiba on there too, bitch? (laughs) I was wondering who would make the first blue eyes white dragon joke. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on March 1st with another thrilling installment, but if you miss us before then, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube. Got a question for the pod? Head over to Ask OS Pod on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured in a future episode. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform, and if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all that and more can be found in the show notes below.